it was a few weeks ago, Katie and I had family over to the house, and I won't say who because I don't want this story to be repeated to them that I shared it with you or that, that I identify who it was that this occurred to. But we had one member of our family, who was not me or Katie or Ava or Gage, who had a sudden issue with a kidney stone. Now, I do know from word given to me, but not by experience, that this is a very painful event that it's hard to deal with. (laughs) There we go. There we go. And uh, so this individual had a very hard night, spent time in the emergency room because the pain was so great. They gave uh, him some medicine to try to alleviate the pain to give him time to pass the stone. Well, it didn't pass so easily. He had a trip planned to Florida a day or two later and decided he was going to go. Well, he wound up in an emergency room in Florida (laughs) and had surgery there. So our family's gathered at our house. We're We're sharing this story with others in our family, you know, to let them know, okay, he's okay and everything. And and what, another member of our family, who shall remain nameless, was trying to figure out just how this happened. And, and the question was asked, well, when you have a kidney stone, can't the doctors just shake you? <laughs> now, myself, I've never had a kidney stone, but when I heard that, I thought, oh, no, <laughs> no, no. Because I had this picture in my mind of someone going to Home Depot and they wind up in the paint mixer going, I don't think this is working. (laughs) I mean, because if we don't get our story straight, we may do more harm than good. Or we may not do all the good that we can as witnesses, as we seek to be the witnesses that we will be when the Spirit falls fresh on us. So I wanted us to take a look today at our passage and at the gospel and really think about what is the fullness of that message. What is the story that we seek to get straight? Now to put it that way, I understand too, can put, excuse me as I get a little off balance, but to put it that way is to suggest that maybe there's some pressure on us when we share the story of the gospel. And that's not necessarily what this is about. This is just simply to think about how the story may go deeper and further and wider than we've ever considered it going. So it's not about us going out and when we share with our friends and neighbors and loved ones about the good news of Jesus Christ, that we have to feel this great pressure building up inside of us because what if I get it wrong? That's not what this is about. It's simply just taking a step back and evaluating the good news of the gospel for what it is. And as we think about that, I'm reminded of something Doug said early on in the series. You know, asking the question, how well would Jesus Christ be received if he was to show up in the church today? Maybe it's this particular church. Maybe it's another church. Maybe he just appears to the church at large. How well would Jesus Christ be received? And that sparked the thought in me that I've had before about the images, the mental images we have of Jesus Christ often when we think of who Jesus was. There's this traditional image that we think of often in the Western church especially. Here's Jesus, very handsome, well-trimmed beard, brushed back, long hair, 
very Western, very Caucasian looking. And then a few months ago, we, we got another vision of Jesus from the History Channel in their Bible series. Here's Jesus in live action. Almost looks like Ashton Kutcher. He looks very charismatic. He's he, the, the actor playing him was a Portuguese man, so while not English or America, uh, white American or, or German or anything like that, he is European. And you see, you know, it, it's very, very much in line with the picture that was up before. Well, a decade or so ago, a magazine called Popular Mechanics came up with their best educated guess of what Jesus might look like. <laughs> they based this on research and history of what a Middle Eastern male in the first century would have looked like based on renderings of men and such. And it's a much different picture. It's a much different picture of who we come in contact with. Now, again, this is an educated guess. This is not the picture of Jesus Christ. It's an educated guess. But perhaps it brings to mind that our thoughts on Jesus and how they might be shaped culturally and how we might be tempted to lose focus on just who Jesus was, and perhaps that affects our understanding of the message which Jesus brought. Not completely, but at least partially. And so we consider the good news today, and we begin to think about how important it is to work through our presuppositions. Not that if we approach someone with incorrect presuppositions about who Jesus was and what Jesus taught, or maybe we don't have the whole picture, that the Spirit won't work. Because that would be a falsehood. The Spirit calls us to go out to share the good news, and the Spirit will do the work. We may not get all the words right. We may not get the entire story right. But it can help if we learn to embrace the story for what it is and continually within ourselves hold up a mirror to ourselves and reevaluate just what that story is. And it may be that all of us are getting parts of the picture, and as we come together, we'll get the fullness of the picture of what the good news is and who Jesus Christ was. And as we read the, as we read the passage in Luke 4 today, as Jesus comes to his hometown, reads from Isaiah 61 in the synagogue, it becomes very clear what Jesus is seeking to proclaim. He comes to bring good news to the poor, to the captives, to the blind, to all those who are oppressed. And Jesus himself is the good news. The revelation of God on earth, the very presence of God on earth, walking by our side, taking up, pitching his tent among us. This is God among us. God calling us forward to go out and share that good news. This is, as Luke tells us, Jesus filled with the Spirit. Proclaiming to us all that this day, the Scripture has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God has arrived. It's not fully manifest, but it's arrived. And it's at work. The Spirit of God is shaping this world in amazing, incredible ways. The kingdom of God is confronting and embracing the sin sickness of each one of us and in all the world because it seeks to bring healing to us. The kingdom of God is good news 
for you and me, for anyone on this earth, for all creation. And the kingdom of God has not just come. The kingdom of God is on the move. It's on the move in the appearance of Jesus. We see throughout the Gospels how Jesus is kind of not shaking things up like the Home Depot paint mixer, but he's stirring things up. Not just not seeking to cause trouble. Jesus is stirring things up because he's looking out on the stormy sea and proclaiming, Peace be still. Peace be still. Because what has happened is that as the kingdom's on the move in Jesus, as the kingdom continues to be on the move on, in Jesus' disciples who are filled with the Spirit, that there will be resistance to the kingdom. Because when we talk about the kingdom, we talk about something that is much different from other kingdoms, other nations, other gatherings around this world. Because it's based on something much different than how all those that came before it, all those that were contemporary with it, and all those that have come after it have lacked. It was based on God's love for all humanity and all creation. The good news is seeking to draw each and every one of us together. While the nations of this world are often seeking to drive us apart. The institutions of this world, the alliances of this world are seeking to drive us apart. And it's bringing great destruction on lives. It's bringing great destruction on creation. But the good news is that the kingdom of God has arrived. It's on the move. And it is resisting the forces of destruction. It is saying to the storm on the sea, peace be still. We see it addressing really the basic inequities of this world. We can look in chapter 1 of Luke at Mary's Magnificat. A brilliant hymn, but one that challenges us today. One that speaks of raising up the lowly while bringing down the proud. One that speaks of filling up the hungry with good things while sending the rich away empty. The context is set in Mary's Magnificat for the passage in Isaiah 61, which Jesus will read and had read in the synagogue, and from which Jesus will say, "Today the Scripture has been fulfilled." Now these inequities they take all kinds of forms. They begin with a pride and arrogance that that many of us are wrecked with from childhood. Original sin that seeks to turn us inward instead of turning us outward. This is sin and our sin sickness at work in our lives, keeping us from being the fullest human beings that we could possibly be, the fullest men and women that we could possibly be. But Jesus challenges all of that. We see Jesus go out on the sea in Peter's boat, hauls in the great catch after they've been fishing all night, Peter is so overcome by this that he cries out, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. But what does Jesus say? Do not be afraid. He doesn't give 
Peter a pass on his sinfulness or anything like that, but he says, do not be afraid. Despite the rhetoric you may have heard in this world that suggests that maybe you're not as valuable as others, that you're a lowly fisherman, that maybe you're unclean and you shouldn't come into the synagogue. You're unclean, so don't even bother coming to Jerusalem to worship at Passover. God is present with you today, offering God's compassion and grace and love for your sinfulness, so do not be afraid. The same message that the lowly shepherds heard the night of Jesus' birth. Do not be afraid. You see, there were those basic inequities set up in a story that was wrong about who God was. That God was lifting up the proud and the righteous. But we're reminded that God sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. That God sends grace on all of us. As one of our children said this morning, God is pouring out that grace on us each and every day. That's good news, folks. That's good news. God is seeking to redeem us, to restore us, to heal us each and every day. And challenging the basic inequities of this world. And you consider Peter wasn't just forgiven. Peter wasn't just told, yes, you may be a follower of me. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. Peter and other fishermen and tax collectors and other lowly looked down upon people were the first disciples called to follow this lowly carpenter. Because the pride that humanity gives to one another based on status or wealth or power or things of that world is overcome with the good news of Jesus Christ. It challenges us up to open our arms wide to the world, to brace one and all, knowing that God forgives us the same way God forgives everybody else and calls us to accept that forgiveness, be forgiven of our sin, and start the walk of healing from the sin sickness that controls our lives. To be filled with the love of God in such a way that the barriers that we've created in this world will slowly be overcome, but through the Spirit of God, not through our strength. We see it in Jesus' blessing or Sermon on the Plain, parallel to Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preaches strong words of humility Blessed are the poor, woe on the rich. Blessed are those who are hungry, calling us to realize just who we are in the grand scheme of things. Because if we're seeking to get the story straight, we need to understand the story. Jesus has very strong words. But much of the time, they're words of compassion. And when they're not, they're often words addressed to the establishment who had lost sight of the compassion of God, who had lost sight of God's call to justice, who would lost sight of the fact that God's love is all-inclusive and calls out to all without regard for anyone's place in life or without regard to anyone's past. All of us are offered the grace of God. All of us have the same esteem in the eyes of God who molded us, breathed the breath of life into us, 
and pours that grace into our lives each and every day, even if we don't know it yet. This is the good news. But, it, but it's hard to accept this good news sometimes because it challenges each and every one of us. We have walls we've built in our lives. We have possessions that we're clinging on to. We have thoughts and ideologies that drive us apart that we're not willing to give up. But the good news, again, is God won't let us rest. God will continue to push. The Spirit of God pouring into our souls will continue to fill us in such a way that pushes us out and challenges us to really think about who we are in Jesus Christ and how we tell that story to the world. You think about our theme from Acts 1. You will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Luke has told us that the Holy Spirit has come on Jesus as he's preached in the villages and as he arrives in Nazareth and delivers this message, this great news that God is here and the kingdom of God has arrived and is on the move. And we can think of this in terms of honor and shame. We have structures in where we decide those who are more honorable and those who should be ashamed of themselves. We separate those that we see as industrious and those who are lazy. We see those who are intellectuals and those who aren't tend to be placed on different planes. We see those who are business and political leaders often above those who do a lot of the grunt work and blue-collar work. We esteem people over others based on their roles in life. The same way fishermen and shepherds and tax collectors and sinners and women were looked down upon. We esteem people over others at different times in history in different places based on race and creed or other affiliations. But Jesus is telling us that the grace of God, the words that the people in Nazareth found so gracious, is offered to everyone. And that's where the sticking point came for the people in Nazareth. Because they'd heard the stories of him going out in these villages where there were probably plenty of Gentiles. And he was reaching out and healing people and preaching the good news, probably making himself unclean in the process. But here he comes to Nazareth, and they want the same thing. They're thinking, if he's done that in those villages, then surely it will happen here. Surely we deserve it as this is Joseph's son. And there's some question about what they're questioning his origin as Joseph's son is about. Is this a group of people who are saying, wow, is this Joseph's son? This is awesome. Or isn't this just Joseph's son, the carpenter boy? What does he have to offer us? Or what is this message he's sharing and that he's going out and sharing all over the villages without regard to whether someone's Jewish or Gentile? It's probably mostly related to those last two options. It doesn't tell us for sure, but given the context of the Gospels, given the context of Luke, we understand that so much of his conflict with the Jewish leadership and other leadership in the villages surrounding had to do with Jewish nationalism 
and Jewish religion. And the idea that if we will just be great Jews, then God will deliver us. It had lost sight of a very biblical theme that all nations would be drawn in to the love of Christ. Abraham was blessed to bless. So that honor and shame structure goes right out the window because forgiveness is offered to all. And as we see Jesus quote Isaiah chapter 61, we also see a note of justice in the good news which we are witnesses of. For when he quotes Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2, and he ends with the good and acceptable year of the Lord, that is a direct reference to the idea of jubilee, a setting of right to all the inequalities that had occurred over a period of time. And the Old Testament was looked at in terms of 50-year increments, when things would be set to right, slaves would be set to free, would be set free, land would be returned to its original owners, debts would be canceled, all the oppression that had taken on in that period would be set to rights. It's almost as if God had built in the structure of grace. I won't say it almost is, it is. As if God had built in the structure of grace to combat the sin that we resist giving up. Where every 50 years, everything would be set to rights. It's good news to the poor, Isaiah says. It's the release of the captives, often in debtors' prisons or prisoners of war. It brings sight to the blind. It's the good and acceptable year of the Lord. But yet even the word sight to the blind has a very specific ring to it in Isaiah. We see it over and over again. They have eyes, but they do not perceive, ears, but they do not hear. They are blind. The blind refers to a couple of different groups of people. It refers to those who were the people of God, called by God to be a light to the nations. But out of their pride, out of their arrogance, out of their self-righteousness, they lost sight of who God was. They had gone blind. And they became the blind leading the blind. On another note, Jesus and Isaiah both speak of bringing sight to the blind, those who have been so oppressed, those who have been so, so put upon, those who have been affected by the fact that the Jewish people had joined field to field and house to house so that there was no room for them, as stated in Isaiah 5. They are blind to the good news of God because, frankly, they've had a hard time seeing it in the life they've lived. So when Jesus says he comes to bring good news to the blind, he's not just talking about the literal sight to the blind, which we see throughout the Gospels. He's talking about awakening us to the good news through the Spirit of God. That there's much more to life than anything we could own, anything we could control, anyone we could overpower. And he's telling us that we've been controlled, when we've been overpowered, when we've been hurt, when we've we've been oppressed. The kingdom of God is here and now. And it's already won the battle. So when we proclaim the good news, we see in the sight to the blind both forgiveness of all people. 
But we also see a sense of liberation from the oppression, from the hurt, from the separation that people have suffered for decades and centuries. Now I know some of you who who may be studying theology may be thinking that I'm talking social gospel. In a sense, I would say yes. But in a sense, I'm not. Because the, the idea is not that if we simply are faithful to God and we go forward in the Spirit, that we will progressively make this world a better place until it becomes this utopian place. And that it will be our work. No. We proclaim the good news of God in word and deed of forgiveness, of liberation, of justice and mercy. So that we are witnesses to the good news that is to come. You see, Jubilee also had an eschatological intention. It was pointing forward to the future of what God was bringing in the end. A restoration of all things, setting things to rights. Overcoming the pride and self-righteousness and oppression that we put upon one another. And each and every one of us I'll say in this congregation, in the Christian church, and in this world, are guilty of that to some degree. But the good news is we are not left to that. We are not left to our selfishness. We are filled with the Spirit and can be filled with the Spirit so that that is overcome in our lives. We understand in our churches so much, the, the idea of forgiveness of sins, because it's such great news, because we come to this point where we realize we are sinful, we are sick, and the only way we can be delivered from that is to be forgiven by God and to be healed by God. But imagine the thrill we'll experience if we take that healing out to others in each and every way possible as we see hearts and lives renewed because they understand God does not hate them. (coughs) God is not put out by their sin because God will not stop reaching for them. God will not stop reaching for us. No matter how many times we who call ourselves people of faith may stumble and fall, God will not stop loving us. This is good news that we are witnesses of here today. So let us look into the future. Let us embrace it with excitement. Let us understand that this will push us out to places and among peoples that maybe we never even dreamed of. Because when we're filled with the Spirit the way Christ is, we will be witnesses that the kingdom has arrived, that the kingdom is shaping our lives. That the kingdom brings us, when we are blind, forgiveness and renewal. That the kingdom brings good news to the poor, to the captives, to all those who are suffering and oppressed. This is the good news of which we are witnesses. This is the good news which we will proclaim in word and deed when we are filled with the Spirit. And as that Spirit pushes us out beyond our comfort zones, we're going to find ourselves among a lot of different people. A lot of, among a lot of different groups. And it may make us uncomfortable. It may make us feel a little dirty at times. It may make us want to go home and get in the shower and rinse that off. We may think in terms of uncleanliness. 
the way the Jewish leadership in the first century did. But the more and more we discipline ourselves to open ourselves up to the Spirit and answer that call, we'll keep coming home and we'll take that shower. But pretty soon we'll realize when we get in that shower, it's our own filth we wash away. And suddenly the good news we proclaim, the response to the Spirit that we give, and pushing ourselves out beyond our own comfort zones, will not only be the salvation of the world, it will be our own as well. So we will be witnesses. The Spirit will be with us. And it will be good news for us as much as it's good news for anybody else. So let's think about that as we come to the communion rails today. We can start by thinking about as we kneel here, we take the bread and the juice, reflecting on the body and blood of Christ and the Spirit of Christ through the Holy Spirit. Of that healing that comes to us. Of the healing through our gifts on this communion rail today that we can give to the church in Pakistan and all those affected those who have barriers to health care, whether they're monetary or they're oppression. But we can also start by understanding when we come and we give and we receive the elements. That healing comes to us as well. Healing that breaks down the walls we built up in our hearts to others in this world healing that pushes us out so that when we see the person who's built up so many walls that nobody wants to be around them, we don't accept those walls as reality. We view those walls as a farce. And we view the walls that we ourselves have built as a farce. And we're seeking for the grace we receive from Christ, which is poured out over us each and every day, to break down those walls Fill us with the Spirit so that we may go forth in power and be witnesses of the good news of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God that has arrived. We're not waiting on it. It's arrived. And we represent it today waiting for it to come in its fullness, a fullness that only God will bring. And we'll lay the building blocks. We won't build this kingdom ourselves. We'll simply lay the building blocks blocks that point others to that future. Because we were witnesses of the good news of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen.